think uh, people are a bit scared to engage because they're scared to to maybe admit that in, in certain situations they Yo, what's going on, beautiful people? It's your boy Tito, and welcome to another episode of Maintain the Design. Today we have musician and YouTuber David Scott in the building. Dave, how you doing, bro? Tato, thanks so much for having me, and uh, thanks to your listeners. Sweet, awesome, man. Um, how's how's the start to your your year been so far? Uh, it's been surprisingly cool, man. Uh, I've had a song that's done really well. Uh, yeah on youtube and spotify uh, i basically made a remix of this uh, turkish street drummer who was performing a cover of a finnish folk song called yeah called ivan polka so i took i took that video and kind of made my own remix and uh, it was just like a one minute stuff around video and then people said well we want to hear the full thing so yeah i thought uh, well let me let me get hold of this guy, see if he's keen, and uh, sent him a DM saying, this is like a little remix that I've done. And he got back to me saying, uh, cool, let's do it. So, I mean, I put it out into the world, and it's it's probably been my most successful video so far. So, is it? yeah, no, really excited. I mean, it's I think it's on 3 million views now on YouTube and, and, over, Hectic. and over 10 million on Facebook. So That's crazy. Yeah, so it's, I've just been completely overwhelmed by the response. I mean, it's it's charting in Italy. Like a teacher in China sent me a video of, of his kids like listening and reacting to the song. So it, it's, it's really cool to just see people from around the world like really enjoying the song and connecting with it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And what's the, what's the name of the song? It's called Ivan Polka. Oh, okay. No, definitely. I'll definitely check it out after after we're done speaking. Yeah. No. Awesome, man. And, and how's the start to twenty twenty one been for you, man? For me, relatively good as well. Um, but in all honesty, I think like this is the first time I've questioned my perception of like time. Yeah. Because of because of the pandemic, you know. So it's like you know, usually like every the beginning of every year is kind of like a reset. Yeah. So even if like you had a bad year in the previous year, like mentally you just feel like you're going into like a new time frame basically. And yeah. that, you know, you have another chance to have a clean slate and, you know, start again. But now I've like just questioned my perception of time and what time really is because we've come into a new year, but we're still kind of in the same situation. Do you know what I mean? After a very difficult year already. Yeah, you, so, you're not seeing as many people uh, making New Year's resolutions this year. No, <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Because like, I think also like last year, people saw that like, even if you like plan, it means nothing in a situation like this because you're not in control. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. But, but so far, so good. Yeah. At the, at the start of 2020, we saw a lot of people... Uh, making statuses saying 2020 vision and you know this is going to be the best year and yeah sometimes the universe has other plans 
and we can exactly. <laughs> we can never predict exactly. it. But yeah, I, I feel you, man. It feels like uh, 2020 part two. It yeah, literally. It, it, deluxe, the, the, the deluxe version. <laughs> yeah, and it, and, it, and it only took six days for us to, to enter into 2020 part two. I mean, uh, yeah, just seeing... All, all the crazy stuff that's been going down in, in the States. I think, uh, I'm not surprised. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I somehow knew 2021 was going to be a crazy year, but, uh, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't think we'd be off to such a crazy start. So let's, <laughs> let's see what happens. Yeah. But in all honesty, like, I don't think anything shocks me anymore. Like when I see stuff like that, like what's happening in America right now, like, it doesn't shock me anymore. Like nothing really shocks me that much anymore. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I think we've all become a bit uh, desensitized. I mean, yeah, just so much stuff happened in 2020 that uh, almost anything that happens now is just like, oh, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> I, guess yeah. that's... <laughs> I guess that's part of the script. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so Dave, man, tell me a little bit about like your, your, your background and your upbringing. Are you like Cape Town born and bred? I'm actually from Joburg, um, yeah. and funny enough, uh, after 10 years now of being in, in Cape Town, it's, it's time to go back to my roots. Uh, my wife and I are going to be making the big migration up to Joburg. Uh, we're, we're basically going to be testing it out uh, yeah. for, for a six-month trial period. But yeah, I grew up in Joburg for 18 years, and then um, when I decided you know, I wanted to be doing music uh, Cape Town seemed like the place to be so I went to yeah. I went to Cape Town uh sort of 2010 I think I first arrived here um to do to study music and to yeah just be in a cool place to make music and uh yeah yeah I've I've, I've really enjoyed my time here but uh in terms of just opportunity and and friends and all that kind of stuff. It, it just seems like Joburg is the place to be. The whole yeah. the whole music industry is pretty much in Joburg. All the the major labels and Spotify and Apple Music they're all based in Joburg. So yeah. So so while there's you know not much going on in terms of live music, uh, I think it's a good time to just give it a, a bash and and see yeah. if you like it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, like, do you think that's ever going to change, though? Like, Joburg being the hub of, like, many things, or do you think, like, other major cities are going to catch up and be able to stand on their own feet and be recognized as, like, an independent city that also has its own, like, decent infrastructure and opportunities for people to grow? Uh, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think Cape Town has a cool scene, uh, but yeah, as I say, the, the, the industry is in Joburg. So, you know, all, all the money is there. And so if, if you want to be a musician who I think uh, takes, takes the, the kind of business side of it seriously, uh, I think we, we can't ignore Joburg. Um, yeah. But yeah, in terms of other cities, I mean... There, there were a lot of amazing musicians coming out of Durban at a stage. Mm. Um, I mean, still are. And, and even Port Elizabeth. I mean, I think uh, where you're based doesn't really matter these days. Like, yeah, because we've got the internet for, for collaboration. I mean, this latest song, I was in Joburg when I made the song, but I got, yeah. I got my bandmates in Cape Town to play the sax and he just sent the, 
the, the sort of separates via email. And then I got Veranda Panda who are in, in Durban to record some violin. And then they sent those recordings through. So, I mean, you look yeah. at a world where you can have your own home studio set up wherever in the world. And uh, yeah. it, like all, all that needs to happen is connection. And I mean, it's so easy to connect with people these days. It's, it's just a matter of sending them a DM on, on Instagram, or whatever. And, uh, you know, the fact that I was able to collaborate with uh, a guy from Turkey is incredible. I mean, and he was just like one click away. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, like from what I've seen, uh, the guys that have kind of popped up in Durban, like I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like Easy Freak or Gangs of Ballet or yeah, I don't know. Like most of those guys seem to be moving to Joburg. Uh, yeah. Because that's just kind of like the next step. I mean, Durban's a great place to live, as is Cape Town, but, you know, that's about it. Um, yeah. I mean, Cape Town, we've got – We've got Kirstenbosch summer concerts, which which normally happens around this time of year, but obviously not not this year. Um, but but it's a uh, it's a little bit worrying because like a lot of live music venues are shutting down, and and yeah, I kind of just question yeah. what's going to happen when we kind of come out of this. Like, is Cape Town still going to be as full of opportunity as it once was? I'm not. Yeah. Sure. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, it just seems like there's more going on in Joburg. I mean, even recently, sort of before the lockdown, I, I kind of just felt like all the big shows we were doing were in Joburg and, you know, we we're flying yeah. there quite often and, and clients were happy to pay for the flights because, you know, they've, they've kind of got the budget for that. And, um, yeah. No, I, yeah. If, I had a, if I had a crystal ball, I'd, I would tell you, you know what what the future has in store but i i literally have no idea yeah <laughs> and 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 how does that affect you um like not being able to perform live so obviously like we all know what the repercussions are financially yeah but just like your mental state like how does it affect your mental state because obviously like this is your passion this is what you love it's your job as well um so like how does that affect you not being able to travel and perform you know and just do what you love freely um, to be honest, it's 2020 was actually a great year for me. I mean, um, I love performing. I love being in front of people and, uh, sharing energy and, and, you know, just l enjoying that experience. But, uh, I'm also a bit of a, an introvert. I enjoy my, my little studio. I enjoy just coming up with ideas and memes and, and other content. So, yeah. Um, and and that's kind of kept me going through 2020. And strangely enough, I mean, it's it's been one of my my better years uh, yeah. financially. I mean, I, I I had amazing collaborations with other brands. My YouTube channel grew kind of exponentially at the start of lockdown. I think I had about three thousand YouTube subscribers, and that's now grown to I think ninety thousand, uh, which has been amazing. So I've been able to keep an income just through like my YouTube content and um, my stuff's been doing pretty well on Spotify. So although I wasn't able to perform, um, I've kind of made a plan um, yeah. and I've, I've been lucky in a sense, but I think I'm also, I, I kind of set myself up for 
for being able to thrive in times like this. Uh, I, w- yeah. I wouldn't call myself a, a musical purist, you know, like I, d- I don't just live for performing. Like I've got these other things going on and, and I feel like that kind of saved me. Yeah. Um, and also, um, you know, this time's given me an opportunity to, to really focus on my, my sort of royalty affairs. So, you know, there was, there was stuff that I needed to sort out with Sampra um, yeah. and I, I, I used the time to, to set up my own label, uh, Kif records. And, uh, oh, awesome. I was able to register that with, with Sampra and, and through that whole process, I was actually able to make royalties that were kind of just sitting there. Um, yeah. and, and kind of have them paid to me, which, which was amazing. So, yeah. um, yeah, like, but, but a lot of musicians have struggled, you know, like, for for I'd say most people uh in the music industry uh performing is their bread and butter yeah and so yeah a lot of people have had to kind of just adapt and uh find ways to to kind of keep putting food on the table um, yeah and yeah I mean if there are any musicians listening I've I've got these resources on my website thekiffness.com where you can, yeah, basically figure out how to make sure you're getting paid the royalties if your music's playing on the radio or even in a store. Um, I've I've kind of walked this long road and I've I've kind of had to figure it out and I've I've kind of made that info as I've learned, uh, you know, available to everyone. So it's all there on my website and uh, yeah, it's been really cool to just see people making use of that and. Uh, saying that they actually learned something and they were able to get money out of Samra or Sampra. So, so yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, it's important not to have all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I think that's, that's, that's information that's going to be valuable to a lot of people because I don't think a lot of people take these things into account until it's like too late, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think it's important to, to, to get your, your knowledge um, increased around around those kind of things you know yeah and, and and it's funny you say that because you know for the first time i'm seeing you know people that that didn't take it seriously suddenly taking it seriously not not because you know they want it it's, it's out of necessity it's like yeah, they, yeah they, their money's run out and they're going flip like <laughs> what do i do what am now? i gonna do now yeah and then uh and then yeah they, they're kind of Go and do the whole Samra and Sampra mission. It shouldn't be a yeah. mission, but unfortunately, it is. But uh, yeah, but the juice is worth the squeeze if you if you do it properly. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and before like um, starting Kif Records, were you were you signed to a record label? Yeah, so I've worked with uh, major labels for most of my life, uh, or, yeah. or t- as a professional musician, should I say? Um. So, yeah, I started off signed to Sony Music Africa. Yeah. Um, and I've done two albums with them. And, yeah, like, I don't want to bash major labels, but on the same token, I think uh, what labels were 10 years ago are not what they are today. I think the whole, yeah. I think the whole model has completely changed. Uh, when I when I when I initially signed to Sony Music, mm-hmm. um, basically I wanted my CD on the shelves. Like 
yeah. I, I wanted my CD in Look and Listen and Musica and all those places. And as an independent artist, I had no idea how to do that. Um, yeah. But Sony Music did. So, you know, I, I signed with them. They take, you know, over 80% of all the revenue made from your music, which, yeah. which I think today is a bit crazy because they haven't really changed that revenue split, even though people don't really buy CDs anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think the more I kind of learned about how much money they're taking, the more I kind of realized that I, that I could do exactly the same job they're doing, but, but like keep everything. (laughs) So, so I made it my mission to, to kind of just learn how to release music independently. And it's actually easier than, than you'd think. I mean, any, you can sign up to, any of these online distributors like DistroKid or CD Baby or TuneCore. And it's really easy. I mean, it's, it's just a case of putting your album on there and then they kind of sort it out for you. Uh, yeah. There's obviously a few other things that you need to take into consideration. I mean, submitting your song to radio and, and you know, submitting to playlists and all that kind of thing. Um, but you can do it all yourself. I think uh, people forget that you know, pretty much all the resources that are available to uh, major labels are available to independent artists as well. I think it's yeah. it's, it's probably like 98% of the resources that uh, labels use are, are kind of third-party apps that anyone can use. So, yeah. so it's just a, it's a matter of like educating yourself and, and just making sure that, you know, if you are releasing your music independently, uh, that you just do it properly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, like, I'm always learning. There, there's still so many things that I need to get right. But I think uh, this last song that I've released, Under Kef Records, is a testament to the fact that, you know, you don't need a major label. I mean, yeah. within three weeks, uh, the song is now, like, the most Shazammed Kefness tune ever. And I mean, it hasn't even played on radio. Yeah. Um, and I haven't really marketed it or anything. And it's it's like out shazammed every number one single I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, like it's doing well on Spotify. And, you know, I think it all just came down to, you know, executing an idea uh, fairly well and, and just putting it out there and, you know, letting the internet do the rest. Yeah. And and it's interesting that you say that like the process of like learning how to distribute music independently was easy because I was actually about to ask how the shift and the transition has been like from going from a label that has all this infrastructure to doing everything by yourself. Yeah, well, I, I think it, it doesn't come naturally to most artists. I think for the most part, artists just want to make music and then, you know, hire someone else to do the rest. And, I mean, you can yeah. do that. Um, they're, they're, they're sort of independent labels that are, are far more friendlier to, to artists. Um, yeah. Who do all the marketing and, and all the release stuff for you. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, like before artists get stars in their eyes and think, oh, like – universal or sony want to offer me a a deal they should they should look at um 
you know, sort of independent labels like Platoon or, you know, Afrikori, who, who, who basically distributes your music for you instead of taking like this massive cut that they take, I think maybe 25%. Um, yeah. And they can do all the rest for you. Or you can just, you know, do what I've done and, you know, keep everything. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it all kind of just comes down to how much work you, you're willing to put in. Um, yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I was kind of just willing to, f- to figure out how it all works. And it's, it's paid off in my favor. So, yeah. Yeah. And um, just to go back to, to your upbringing a little bit, um, I was watching a video of yours the other day where you were in a Capetonian township. I forgot exactly which township you were in but you were performing with a couple of guys in a township. Um, so what would you say the importance of like knowing or being connected to diverse kind of people growing up as a young South African, how important do you think that is regardless of like, obviously how much hate there is in South Africa and the world as well, you know, in terms of like racial prejudice and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think maybe Maybe the video you saw was a collaboration that I did with a band called BCUC. Yeah. Um, and I was in Soweto. I was in Joburg. In Soweto. Oh, okay. I thought that was in Cape Town. Yeah. So I was in Joburg at the time. And uh, I'd done a collab with BCUC. They're, they're a really great band. Uh, yeah. And... Yeah, like, I don't think they normally do collabs, but I'd sent them this beat that I'd made um, and they listened to it and said, cool, let's do it. And it was a really cool song. Like they're singing about unity and you know, how we, yeah. how we need to rise up and you know, yeah, the chorus is something is wrong, but we can, we can make things better. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was like a really positive message and kind of just being in studio with them and feeding off their energy and, you know, yeah. making this thing come to life was a really rewarding sort of experience. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I mean, as cheesy as it sounds, I really do think music is, is, is the sort of global language that even if we're singing in different uh, dialects or whatever, like we, everyone understands music. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like it's 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 something that I feel, you know, in a, in a way, is a gift to be able to use mix, uh, music and use it to to bring people of different backgrounds together. It, it really yeah. is a gift and and something that uh, I'm very grateful for. Yeah, uh, because there have been times where you know i've said i've said things without music and it's it's sometimes divided people you know yeah yeah <laughs> and so yeah like I'd, i'm becoming more and more aware of just how um you know music should be used when possible to to just bring people together without it being yeah. easy i mean i mean you look at you look at a song like uh, "We Are the World" w- with Bob Geldof, and yeah. I think I think the sentiment was right, 
But if you look mm-hmm. at it now, it just seems a bit like over the top and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you don't want to go that route either. You don't want it to seem kind of insincere. And I think yeah. I think that's a, it's a difficult sort of balance to get right. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to ignore the fact that I'm a, I'm a white guy who grew up in a, in a, from, you know, I grew up very privileged and, and, you know, now I'm going into Soweto and and I'm collaborating with people that, you know, didn't have the things I had growing up and I don't want to seem insincere in that, but I think, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it did come together nicely and, um, yeah, but it is something I'm kind of just aware of. Yeah. And, you know, like, as I'm getting older, like, you know, I'm noticing how you're doing yourself a disservice as an individual if you're not trying to... I'm not even saying, like, you should be friends with people that aren't like you and not even just from a racial perspective, even, like, social class, uh, religion, whatever the case may be. Um, but you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice because you're limiting, like, your mind, you know? No, so yeah. I just feel like the more people you interact with from different kinds of backgrounds and places, you know, the more you learn just about the world and life. I don't think you, you could ever learn everything about the world. You know, there's a lot of things we will never understand, but, you know, I just feel like it contributes to your growth to a certain level as an individual, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's important, man. And we're living in a world now that's so polarized. I mean, even if your opinion differs slightly from someone else, they'll yeah. label you racist or whatever, like call you names. And yeah, exactly. And, and the problem is it's all kind of happening from behind a screen. Uh, mm. People are sharing their ideas on, on Facebook or Twitter. And a lot of the time I think people are just very misunderstood and, and yeah, there's just more and more polarization happening. And I think, one of the best ways to combat that is just to have, you know, face-to-face conversations or exactly. or at least speak over the phone or, you know, do what we're doing now. I think, you know, the more people just have honest conversations, I think uh, the more we'll, we'll kind of realize how much we actually do have in common. I think we've got more in common than what actually divides us, even if we do come from different backgrounds or, or different religions. I think... Um, yeah, like universally, humans are are pretty much all the same. Um, yeah, uh, and I think, yeah, ideas should just be shared freely without fear, and and that's the problem. I think people have a lot of ideas that they're too scared to share because they they're scared that the mob on the left or the right is going to come after them. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, you know, I've experienced that firsthand. Uh, yeah where i share ideas and uh you know try and keep it open to to comment and that kind of thing and it often gets quite sort of heated and you know people misunderstand me yeah uh but uh yeah i mean it it comes with the territory to a degree but mm. uh yeah I'm, I'm trying to kind of just move away from that and and just uh yeah have have just honest conversations with people try and yeah like if there are ideas that are worth sharing, either share it through music or or kind of just speak to people one on one. Otherwise, yeah. you know, we 
there's there's the fear of maybe you know making people more polarized <laughs> yeah exactly and i think um a lot of things get misconstrued like when you try to share 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 ideas online because it's like one person will comment on that and get offended and then everyone just gets offended without reading into what's actually being said unlike if it was like um, a face to face conversation then you could have like a proper dialogue where you can like explain what it is that you're trying to get across. You know what I mean? So yeah, uh, sharing ideas on social media these days is a bit of a tricky one. Yeah. And I, and I say face to face is important because, you know, there are all these other cues that get completely lost in translation from behind a keyboard. Like when you're just reading someone's words, you can't hear their tone. you You can't read their body language. And, um, you know, often you can say something and then someone might interpret it as being aggressive, but you know, that, that person could have said it in a, in a very relaxed, you know, tone, which, which would have completely changed the whole message if they just got that. So, yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah, the, the internet I think can be a great place. Um, yeah. But yeah, we just got to be careful about how we kind of use it, I guess. Yeah. And uh, Dave, you say you were in Cape Town for 10 years, right? Yeah. And I I would assume that you know who uh, Sixto Rodriguez is based on your your track, um, Sugar Man. Oh, of course. Yeah. So what's the the craze actually like with Cape Townians and and Rodriguez? So I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, Searching for Sugar Man. Yeah, I have. So I think I think there's a there's a strong connection there because uh, it was a guy who owns a record store in Cape Town who kind of like made this whole discovery that Rodriguez is alive. Yeah. Because for a long time, you know, people thought he had died. There were all kinds of conspiracies about how he died. You know, he set himself alight on stage, and I don't know what. But uh, there was pretty much no information about this dude. Um, yeah, you know, because we got all our info from magazines published in America. So, like, we knew all about the Beatles and the Beach Boys and Queen and whatnot. Yeah, but uh, no one knew anything about Rodriguez. But it was strange that he was so popular. Um, so, yeah, I think someone brought over like a bootlegged uh, cassette or vinyl or something of his album, and it just kind of replicated. In, yeah. in Cape Town, and I think uh, these guys were selling his record in this record label, in this uh, record store, and uh, it's just an incredible story. I don't think anything like that could ever happen again in today's no, world. No, definitely not. No. Like if I became huge in Turkey, like I, I'd know <laughs> about it because like someone will post about it on social media or whatever. Yeah. And I can like go onto YouTube and go, oh, like these people in Turkey are listening to this song. Um, but yeah, like I just, I can't imagine being Rodriguez. I mean, you, you're just living this obscure life and then someone gets hold of you and says, Hey, do you want to come perform in South Africa? You're like a major celebrity. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean, um, so obviously I'm a fan and, uh, you know, I was just messing around on a track one day and then started singing sugar man. And it like yeah. it fit perfectly with the song. Yeah. So I got Matthew Gold to to kind of do a proper version of it, and um, 
yeah, we released that and it's it's become one of you know the most successful Kiffness tunes I think we've ever released. And yeah. and funny enough, I pushed it to two major labels and they both mm-hmm. said no. They, yeah. they don't want to release it. And I think that actually prompted me to to kind of you know start releasing my music independently because I said, well, I I believe in this uh, sort of cover that we've done. I think it's really cool. Yeah, I released it uh, under Kiff Records, and I think uh, the labels were sorry that they never took it up because, like, it played on on radio stations across South Africa. And uh, the cool thing is, like, every time it plays, all the royalties pretty much go to Rodriguez because, yeah, you know, it's kind of the law, but it it is quite cool knowing that, um, because you got kind of so screwed over. Uh, with his music like yeah. I, I think he still hasn't been paid correctly for you know his music uh, but knowing knowing that he's getting paid for at least you know our cover version yeah uh, is pretty cool no that's awesome and um, earlier on you were talking about like um, the streams on your new track and how like you were happy with the engagement like I know we're saying, okay, yeah, definitely not. I don't think what happened to Rodriguez will ever happen again. But if you were in his shoes, do you think you would still be doing what you're doing without any recognition or without any knowledge that people actually love and appreciate what you do? Yeah, so I mean, I think what makes Rodriguez so appealing is that I think, like, he knows he's famous but he still lives this like obscure life. And I think it's because, you know, he's, he's a Bali now. And like, like when you've just had years of living the same way for so long, like nothing's really going to change who you are because, you know, you've lived your whole life a certain way. Mm. And I think in a strange way that might be a blessing because I think a lot of people think, you know, being famous and rich, is like the goal. Yeah. And then when people get there, they realize, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not really that amazing. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I can't remember and I can't say for sure, but I think uh, Rodriguez is almost glad that he, he, he's kind of lived this humble life. Um, yeah. And I guess this like whole sudden fame, uh, in South Africa, well, now now around the world, I think the the movies made him a lot more famous, sort of globally. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like I, I think he finds it quite funny, like yeah, a bit bizarre in a way. <laughs> uh, but it is like fame is just a very strange thing. Yeah, and um, and and like, what would you say? inspired you to make music and and regardless of what you say about fame would you would you say there was ever a time that it was validation driven or like that like you know the validation kind of got to your head at any point in your life yeah like i think i think for any sort of aspiring musician in his in his early 20s is is gonna see the appeal in you know, being recognized or making money. Mm. Um, 
But I think the ones that kind of make it last are the musicians who, you know, just enjoy making music for the sake of making music. Yeah. Um, and I've always just enjoyed music for the sake of music. Like the things that kind of come after it, you know, fame, recognition, money, they're kind of all just distractions from the real prize, which is, you know, the creative process. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of something I've had to learn because for a long time I kind of told myself, you know, yes, if I could only just play Kirsten Bosch, like I would have made it in life. Yeah. And, mm. and then, you know, that day comes where we actually do play Kirsten Bosch and, you know, I would have achieved my goal. But then straight after that, I'm like, well, what now? Yeah. Like, it's very fleeting. Um, mm-hmm. and, and pretty much any goal you set, I think, is going to set you up for disappointment because you think it's just going to, like, complete you, and then it, it just never does. Yeah. Like, I remember having 5,000 Instagram followers and thinking, yo, if I could just get to 10,000, then <laughs> I will be, like, stoked, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you get there and it's like, okay, <laughs> I, I don't feel any different. Yeah, true. Or if I could just get that blue tick next to my name yeah. and, then you get, and then you get verified and then you, you don't feel verified. Yeah. You're like, you're still the same person. But to somebody else who's watching, it's probably, like, a big deal and they want to get to where you are. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's nothing wrong with setting goals. But, yeah, uh, yeah, so long as your heart's in the right place. Like, you shouldn't be making music so that you can get 10,000 followers. It should should always be like, I'm making music because this is what I love. And whatever comes afterwards, so be it. Like, if, if I happen to get a million followers afterwards, cool. If I'd... If I lose followers, whatever, like it shouldn't be uh, something that affects uh, the the sort of creative process. Yeah, true. And uh, I remember, I remember when you were in Joburg, we had a conversation, and you were telling me how when you started making music, there were a lot of people that doubted you, or people that that told you that your music wasn't good. Um, how did you? How did you? overcome that doubt and just like remain yourself in order to to grow and get to where you are now um i've kind of learned that you know the more the more haters you get or the more you notice people being critical of your work it's actually a compliment because it means that you're in their minds and you've obviously come up whether in conversation or on the charts or whatever it is yeah uh you know, having critics is never a bad thing. I think mm. uh, if you don't have critics, then you've got to question whether you're you're actually on the right path. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like it's, it's always going to be the case. Uh, I've found that the more sort of traction and success I get, the more haters I get. So, like, lately, I mean, with this, this last song doing well, I've, I've just noticed – quite a few people like hating on me and I think it's important for me to understand that it's almost got nothing to do with me yeah, and everything to do with what that person's going through. It's like whether exactly. it's jealousy or insecurity or maybe they think it's unfair that I'm doing well and they're not. Yeah. Um, 
And I know this because I've been in that situation myself where like, mm. you know, I'm not progressing in my career. And then, you know, a colleague who, I don't know, like has less followers than me. I know it's so trivial, but like, let's yeah. say someone with less followers than me suddenly starts doing well and like overtakes me. Like, it's hard not to be jealous, you know? Yeah. Like, obviously, the right thing to do is, like, applaud them and support them and be, like, good for you. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a cutthroat industry and people do get jealous. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, I guess I've learned, you know, if someone does do well, applaud them because, you know, there might yeah. come a time where, where you also do well and, you, exactly. know, you know, you want people supporting you. Yeah, and I guess I guess it's all about like focusing on your own journey as well. Because like you're saying, like when when people do say bad things about somebody else, uh, about what they're doing and about their success and they have all this criticism, they're basically just compensating for the pain and the, the feelings that they're having internally, you know? Yeah. To be like, I should be there, I deserve this, and they feel like they should be there now. But I mean you know, if you just, I think if you just focus on what you're doing and focus on yourself, you'll get there eventually because sometimes like what you, you know, like what you're doing now may not seem like it's enough for now, but it may be enough for five years time. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? Depending on your consistency as well. So I think it's, I think it's just all about focusing on yourself as well. No, totally. And I mean, if I find myself like not liking someone, I've got a question like, is, is there a reason for me not, not liking this person or is there something that's going on that's uh, making me project my own insecurities onto this person? Like yeah. you always got to check your yourself as well. Mm, true. And um, how, how, how did the, the kiffness actually come about and, and what motivated you to, to start it? Um, so yeah, it started, in about 2010, I was kind of just, you know, making beats in my bedroom. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I'd say it actually started before then. I, I was at Rhodes University. Yeah. And I was studying music. I was studying a sort of jazz trumpet. Yeah. Uh, so I was playing in jazz bands, but I was also DJing um, mm -hmm. in some of the nightclubs there. And, you know, at the time, they kind of felt like two separate worlds. It felt like DJing and playing in a jazz band were like two totally opposite things. Yeah. Um, and it didn't even occur to me that, like, I could somehow bring the two together. But then I saw Goldfish. Mm. Uh, they came to, to the roads uh, a week. They played, yeah. a, they played our street party. And I just thought... Uh, you know, this is really cool. I've, yeah. I like what these guys are doing because uh, they're kind of bringing the two worlds together. It was like not quite a band, not quite a DJ, kind of like this happy middle ground. Yeah. Um, so, you know, throughout Rhodes, I never really combined my trumpet with uh, what I was DJing. Um but then when I came to Cape Town and I, I started learning how to like make my own beats, I, yeah. um, I started playing trumpet over my beats. And uh, I guess it was kind of a, along the same lines of what Goldfish were doing. So, yeah, like I was just messing around. And then 
my brother entered us into the Plet Battle of the Bands. Yeah. In 2010. And uh, that forced us to kind of learn how to perform this stuff live. Uh, yeah. Because at the time I was just recording, but like I had no idea how to perform this stuff live. Um, so yeah, we had like a week to figure it out. And, you know, we, we kind of put a live show together, me and my brother. And yeah, it was cool. We, we ended up winning the plate bill of the bands, which was nice. <laughs> <laughs> Got a bit of prize money and then invested that money into, to like more equipment and that kind of thing. And yeah, I started very small. We, we, played, yeah. we played at a place called Surf Cafe in Plet. Uh, it kind of holds 100 people max. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like we're, we're playing to people just eating there. And uh, slowly but surely, like people started noticing, okay, these guys are playing here every Friday. They'd start moving tables away to make a dance floor. And then uh, we, we kind of got a following going there. And then before yeah. we knew it, we were, we were packing Surf Cafe out, like 300 people every Friday, like during December. You are hectic. Yeah, it was just a cool vibe. Um, yeah. And that's, that's when uh, someone from Sony Music uh, was in Plet and was invited to our show. So, so he came and watched us and, and offered us a, a record deal after that. Yeah. So yeah, and then they they kind of helped us get our music onto the radio. And back then, if you had a song on like Five FM, it was quite quite a big deal. So yeah, yeah it took some time uh, before we kind of got to that place. I think only about four years into the Kiffness had our first radio uh, single, and then um, yeah, then people kind of started noticing who we were and we, we started getting more bookings and yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, man. And, um, about a month ago, I downloaded, um, your EP, um, departures. Ah, cool. Uh, really enjoyed it. Really, really, really awesome project. Um, so how would you compare like the music that the Kiffness makes and you, like your music as an individual, would you say that there's any differences between the two? No, totally. I think that's that's pretty much why I decided to uh, release the the David Scott Departures EP under my own name as opposed to the Kiffness. Uh, yeah, and it's because it just sounded so different. So, so, so I wrote that EP uh, during my travels in 2018. My wife and I were kind of missioning around Europe for three months. Yeah, and while I was there. I I found myself in a completely different headspace. Firstly, I was anonymous. Like suddenly I went from being someone recognized in South Africa to being someone who no one recognized. Yeah. And that was a feeling that, you know, I hadn't experienced in a long time, kind of just being a, like an, an anonymous face. Yeah. So I think that put me in a different headspace, but then also just being in countries where you felt safe you know like walking yeah. around at night and not feeling like you're going to get mugged or that kind of thing mm. i think felt really nice and um i think that allowed me to kind of just write uh music and express a part of myself that was kind of dormant yeah uh, i don't know what it was necessarily maybe the food i was eating and the sights you were seeing 
but uh, it allowed me to write this music. And I called the EP Departures because I was writing most of it in, in sort of departures lounges, like when you were waiting for a train or a plane. Yeah. And I was kind of just reflecting on the place that I'd been to and uh, just trying to express it through music. So, yeah, like I'm, I'm really proud of it. It's, it, it is something very different. And, uh, yeah, like it, it's done really well on, on Spotify and Apple Music. So, yeah. So, yeah, I had no idea what to expect when I put it out. But uh, I'm glad, you know, you and other people seem to be enjoying it. Yeah, definitely. And um, what would you say, what would you say the landscape of like dance and electronic music in South Africa is right now? I think um, a lot of dance producers are kind of struggling to write that kind of music because no one's no one's going to the clubs like it's, it's yeah and but it, but it's been quite cool to see you know guys that normally write that kind of music kind of just experimenting with other things mm. um you know different genres um but yeah i think it's difficult to write that kind of music that's like kind of party vibes and you know everyone's locked down yeah um so yeah, we we might find ourselves kind of just exploring more. I don't know. Uh, mm. I know I have a little bit, uh, but yeah, I, th- I think people people are struggling with a bit of a like an identity crisis at the moment. I like personally, I know a lot of sort of dance producers who are just like, what's the point, you know? Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, who who kind of just adapts and and maybe ventures into different genres or who, yeah, just gives it a break for the for a while. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, but I think uh, it, it 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 does come naturally to quite a few people, but uh, I'm I'm not sure how sort of valid dance music is now. Mm. Is that is that locally? I think just around the world, eh? Really? Yeah, I mean, there are not many places in the world where you know people are actively going to clubs and you know listening to new sort of dance music. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's an interesting take because I think because I, I I don't really know about the the dance music scene, you know, in general. But you know, obviously, I, like I see all these festivals that happen, you know, under under normal circumstances, um, and you'd think that maybe, like in Europe, that it would be a major thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think. Uh, I mean, I'm, I can't say for sure, but I think for the most part, even in Europe, places are, are kind of just shut down at the moment. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think. Yeah, hopefully, you know, we just get a vaccination and everything kind of returns to semi-normal. But I think, I think for the meantime, events are probably going to be the last thing that comes back. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's going to be right at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, you, you, you've, you've gone on this journey now with your music. How did the, 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 the switch to, to YouTube happen now where you're now doing music? And you're doing satire on YouTube and you have videos that people, some people may find controversial. 
<laughs> how did that how did that how did that evolution happen um so i've always i've always been a kind of meme creator i've i've always enjoyed making memes and i've always shared them to my page yeah. and um for the longest time I, I kind of struggled to merge the two in the same way that you know i struggled to merge you know jazz with with djing like yeah there were kind of these two separate things I was doing on my Facebook page, and I think it confused a lot of people. A lot, yeah. a lot of people, you know, followed the Kifnis page because they wanted to see my memes. Yeah. And other people just wanted to hear my music. And there were like some people kind of in the middle who liked both. But I think, yeah. I think yeah, like a lot of the times I'd release a song and then – you know, the people who follow follow me for my memes would be like, oh, I thought this was a meme page. Yeah. And then like, <laughs> and then, you know, the same for the other side, you know, I'd put out a meme and someone would be like, yes, he, uh, I followed you for your music, but now you're just posting <laughs> these memes. <laughs> um, so I guess, I guess the middle ground between memes and music uh, was kind of parody music. I found this happy medium between you know these funny things i was posting and my music because i think yeah. uh, with parodies i'm i'm still showing off a musical side uh but it's done in a in a sort of satirical way yeah so i think yeah that that that's kind of the the middle ground and uh i've I found the sweet spot uh but it kind of started with just uh parody songs you know having just uh a bit of a laugh about our situation and the pandemic, like nothing too controversial, but uh, parody lends itself to satire. And I think, yeah. you know, satire is obviously a little bit more dangerous um, mm. because you're getting into politics and that kind of thing. And yeah, you know, it is going to ruffle feathers mm-hmm. unlike parody music, which is normally just for fun. Uh, yeah. So I kind of, I, I kind of went into that satire sphere knowing that, you know, it's going to ruffle feathers. Um, yeah. But, but that's sometimes the point, you know, sometimes you actually, you make these things hoping that you'll offend certain people because by offending them, you, you're forcing them to think about something that, you know, they might not have thought of before. Yeah. You know, uh, so, you know, when, when, politicians get upset because of a satirical song I've made. I, I, a lot of people say, you know, doesn't that scare you? Or like, yeah. Do you have any regrets? And I say, no, that that's the point. You know, the fact that people like these guys are getting upset means that it's working. Yeah. So it, it is a bit of a dangerous game, but, uh, yeah, like I stick to my guns. I'd, I've got strong convictions and I stand by them. And, uh, yeah. you know, it, it does get a little bit heated at times, but, you know, sometimes good things come out of it. Like, yeah. you know, I managed to speak to the mayor of Ekraleni, which actually ended up being quite a cool chat. I mean, he he heard one of my parodies and, and got triggered and called me a racist. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I could have sued him for, for defamation because there was no actual proof that what I was saying was by any means racist. Um, 
so, but instead of doing that, I, I kind of reached out to him and we had a conversation and I actually, I respect him for, for accepting that invitation and, and being willing to kind of speak to me. Yeah. I, I, I don't think he knew that I was recording the conversation though. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. But, but I didn't know that he was recording me either. So it was quite a, <laughs> it was quite a funny situation where like yeah. after the conversation I'd seen that he, he like tweeted a snippet of our convo. Um, oh, hectic. But then I tweeted or I like posted the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, is, it, is, it, is it on YouTube? Yeah, it's on YouTube. So, okay. yeah, I think it's uh, definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it was an interesting conversation. I think uh, many things he said uh, I agreed with, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It's uh, it's open to interpretation. I mean, anyone can go and watch it and and you know figure out for themselves who's right, who's wrong. Maybe both of us. I don't know. Yeah, and 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 when you say um, politicians get offended by um, the things that you say sometimes and stuff like that, do you, does that ever make you think that freedom of speech is kind of like selective? Um, so yeah, obviously I think uh, freedom of speech is a wonderful thing, but I think it's often misunderstood. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're all free to say whatever we want. So long as we don't incite violence, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like Donald Trump or Julius Malema. Um, and so long as we don't, uh, what we're saying doesn't amount to hate speech. Yeah. And if you can kind of do that then, you know, if someone gets offended by what you're saying, then so what? You know, we live, in a, yeah. we live in a free country and if what I'm saying offends you, then, you know, that's your problem. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but if you're saying something that's like legitimate hate speech, then, then they do actually have a claim to being offended and they can, you know, report a, a complaint to the Human Rights Commission and you can be charged. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think we live in a world now where people think that if they're offended, that makes them right. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think it couldn't be further from the truth. I think uh, you know we we should be practicing free speech, and if we can do it in a way that respects other people's dignity, um, I think we need to share ideas so that we yeah. can kind of progress as a society. Otherwise. We're just going to see more and more of what's happening, just polarization, people, you know, creating their own echo chambers and, you know, just canceling people that have slightly different views. <laughs> yeah. Because so, I think the, the, lines are, the lines are kind of blurred, yeah. um, like with people, like in terms of distinguishing, like what's offending you personally and what actual like hate speech is and what actual freedom of speech is as well. So I think people just need to learn how to differentiate between those various different factors, you know? Yeah. And it comes down to what we were saying earlier, you know, just having conversations, not just these like mudslinging competitions from behind a screen. I mean, anyone, yeah. can, anyone can call someone names from behind a phone, but it actually takes a little bit of courage to speak to someone face to face because suddenly you know, you're on the spot. You, you can't think about your next, uh, 
witty sort of response. You have to engage with that person. And I think uh, people are a bit scared to engage because they're scared to to maybe admit that in, in certain situations they could be wrong. You know, yeah. they don't want to yeah. engage with someone who is actually speaking the truth and then be caught off guard. Yeah. But I'll be the first person to admit I'm wrong. If someone points it out to me, I'll be like, okay, cool. Like, you're right. Like, let's, let's not let ego get in the way here. Yeah. And, and do you ever feel like um, the content that you make, your YouTube content, um, might affect how you perceived as an artist? Or do you say that your YouTube content and your music go hand in hand? Um, yeah, I, th- I think to a degree, um, yeah, like I, th- I think it's, it's partly why so many artists stay away from politics because they're scared that if they share their views, it's gonna, you know, take fans away from them. People that, that might like their music might suddenly not like it because, you know, they support a, a certain party or leader that they don't support. And, yeah. and it's, it's something I'm aware of. Like I know for sure that I've lost fans because of some of my views. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to let that get in the way of speaking my truth because, mm. you know, the truth is more important than my reputation in my opinion. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like you don't see a lot of artists being outspoken about their beliefs because of that. And yeah, like more power to those people who who are able to kind of preserve their artistic image and separate it from, you know, their politics or their religious beliefs, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I struggle to separate those. I mean my art is who I am. My views are who I am. Like everything I put out is an extension of who I am. And I don't see the point in separating them. Um, Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, like I I can't control what people think of me, but I, I do think the best way to judge someone is by their fruits. Yeah. Um, I think to a large degree, the way I think and the things I believe in, you know, aid my, my art. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because I believe in, you know, freedom of speech and I believe in moderation and I'm against any forms of extremism, like whether it's on the left or the right. I think all of that ties into who I am as an artist. Yeah. So, as much as people would want to separate them, I think you can't really. Um, I think someone who's got a big ego is naturally going to make music about money and cars. Yeah. Like you can't separate the ego from the music in, in that case. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I'd like to think that uh, my music is a, is a reflection of who I am. 